And welcome back to Regionally Speaking with your host, Dee Dotson. Support for a gun education and safety lock program has the Lake County Prosecutor's Office looking for help from the County Council in accepting donations to launch the effort. A recent Post-Tribune article notes Bernie Johnson, Supervising Deputy Prosecutor said since Indiana changed its gun laws in 2023, enabling easy access to firearms for almost anybody, there has been a substantial number of accidental shootings of children. And for context for our listening audience, here's what the Indiana law states. Indiana has no law that imposes a penalty on someone who fails to secure an unattended firearm and leaves it accessible to an unsupervised minor. However, Indiana does provide that a child's parent or legal guardian commits the crime of dangerous control of a child if he or she knowingly, intentionally, or recklessly permits the child, defined as a person under the age of 18, to possess a firearm, either while aware of a substantial risk that the child will use the firearm to commit a felony, and while failing to make reasonable efforts to prevent the use of a firearm by the child to commit a felony, or when the child has been convicted of a crime of violence or has been adjudicated as a juvenile for an offense that would constitute a crime of violence if the child were an adult. In addition, an adult who knowingly or intentionally provides a firearm to a child for any purpose other than those specified, commits dangerous control of a firearm, a Class C felony. Joining us now is Lake County Prosecutor Bernard A. Carter, who will share that for the first time, his office will establish a gun safety program. The program will involve classroom and range training and has the support of several local businesses. Mr. Carter, thank you so much for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Mr. Carter, so you're here with us today to talk about a new initiative your office is leading in collaboration with the Indiana State Police, community activist and founder of Lock It Down Foundation, Andrew Holmes, Lisette Gillian with Case File Chicago, the Lake County Prosecutor's Clergy Council, and representatives from Hard Rock, Northern Indiana, and NYSource, and that is, again, your Gun Safety Lock Initiative. Mr. Carter, so take a moment to outline the vision for this opportunity to educate the community right here in Lake County about firearm safety. Uh, yes, you know, I'm, I'm very pleased uh, of the members that you just uh, mentioned joining uh, the Lake County Prosecutor's Office, my office, in this effort. You know, one of the things that we see uh, from a prosecutor standpoint as well as I was talking to Dave Pastrick yesterday, he was in my office and we were talking about this here, he also had uh, joined to, to work with us and to assist us in this matter. He being the corner has had uh, the unfortunate opportunity, if you will, to um, see some of the victims that we're talking about that we're trying to uh, preserve and, and, and save from that type of, uh, of consequence uh, in, in terms of his, uh, his office uh, doing autopsies on uh, young children who have been um, injured uh, by um, bullets uh, coming from their parents or their guardians uh, handguns that were left in the home uh, where the young person could get access to it. It's a real tragedy, something that could stop 100%, and we shouldn't have any of those types of deaths. 
And that's one of the reasons that I put together this team of people who want to work together to, to rectify this here. And one way we're doing this is by education. Second one is by providing the instruments to be utilized, and the instruments I'm referring to gun locks, to be utilized for those who do not have safe to put their guns into our home safe. And it's so important to understand when you have young children, you should not have a loaded gun in your home. That's a point blank. That don't cost any money. That don't require a, a, a trigger lock or anything of that nature. But secondly, we knew people do want to keep guns in their home for their own personal safety. And one of the arguments they tell us is that we have to have it accessible. In order to have uh, have protection in my home, I need to be able to get to my gun in, 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 a, in a sufficient time frame. And, and I kind of say no to that in the sense that um, the first thing that need, needs to be known uh, from gun safety is that a, a automatic weapon or semi-automatic weapon should not be chambered. And what I mean by chambered, a round should not be placed in the chamber so uh, a young person can uh, pull the trigger and, 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 uh, and, and discharge the firearm. Uh, if you don't chamber a round, that three, four, five, six, seven, eight-year-old child can push pull that trigger all they want and it's never going to uh, fire. And some people say, well, I got the safety on it. Well, the safety is one of the things that easily can be taken off by a young person also by playing with the gun. They can hit the safety and move that off, and then that gun becomes live and have the ability to, to be fired. So that, that's the first one. And the second one is to educate our, our homeowners that uh, they should utilize uh, a some type of um, locking mechanism, and we're going to provide those for them with the um, help of uh, the hard rack. Hard Rock uh, Casino, as well as NIPSCO, they're providing uh, the, uh, the the gun locks that we will be giving out. Um, and uh, one one of the ways that we're going to be giving them out is, and we're going to announce that um, this Friday, is we're going to be utilizing uh, the local clergy, the local churches. We're going to be dispensing these um, gun locks to any church that wants them. And we've had we have a clergy alliance, the Lake County Prosecutors Clergy Alliance, where we have a, a, a any church in in Lake, in Lake County can join, and we uh, meet with them, and they've indicated to us that we have met with them, and they have indicated to us they want to uh, be a dispenser of, of these lots. So we're going to be getting those into the hands of the pastors of these churches, uh, and uh, and they will be allowed to uh, give to their congregation or anyone who wants wants one. In addition to that, we will be providing a link uh, when they get uh, um, one of the gun locks. We'll provide a link so they can um, go up and look at how to, to uh, utilize it in a safe manner in terms of placing the gun locks uh, on the on the gun. So we will be providing that education uh, to them. Mr. Carter, so as you went into detail about the collaborative partners, I cannot help but highlight your clergy council, particularly because of the vital role that the church plays in the African-American community, oftentimes, quite frankly, serving as the moral compass for the community. And what I mean by that is that historically, the news and information shared across the pulpit has always been considered trusted And quite frankly, whenever there is a call to action from that pulpit, the congregation responds. And so and so I I applaud you for having the clergy council as a collaborative partner for this initiative. Yes, I I, I firmly believe that and and know that. 
and certainly that's a vehicle that, that we can utilize to, and, and it's primarily education, because if you don't have the education as to the use of these uh, locks, then you, and you're not going to utilize it. You could have a lock in your possession, but you just don't. And so we're trying to urge uh, the community to understand one death uh, taken in this manner is one death too many. And we've had, uh, uh, over the last, uh, I'd say, six months, we've had at least four young people uh, as, as young as two years old, uh, kill themselves uh, by utilizing these weapons. And one of the things I echo very strongly is it's not an accident, and I don't use that term when a child kills himself, uh, a two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old, six-year-old, eight-year-old, ten-year-old, kill themselves with a weapon uh, that's left in the home uh, uh, unattended as well as unlocked. I don't call that an accident. It's not an accident. It's a criminal offense. It's neglect. It could possibly be a reckless type a homicide charge, but it is not an accident. And I'm echoing to every parent that, that that lives within this jurisdiction that you need to think of it as your child getting a gun, uh, hurting themselves. It's on you on a criminal status. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Mr. Carter, I understand that to date your office has received a commitment of close to $8,000 in in-kind donations for this initiative. But what is your ask from the Lake County Council regarding the funds that you are expected to receive? Well, one of the things that we we don't hold funds ourselves within my office. Uh, the State Board of Accounts require us to open up an account with the county, and any money that is received goes through the, the, the council, and the council then puts it uh, in, in, in the um, uh, our, our account, if you will, um, through the auditor's office, and um, and then we then can draw a write a check down. Uh, and, and in fact, the people that we purchase the, the gun locks from and, and any material that we use for the, uh, um, the uh, public announcement of this uh, and the public education of this, because we're going to put on educational classes, too, and that requires money and it requires um, guns uh, and it requires uh, bullets uh, to be utilized in, in some of our training uh, programs. Uh, we, uh, it goes to the county and then the county pays those bills. Great, great. I'm, I'm glad that you shared that just so that the community is aware that, number yes. one, that your office does not, in fact, hold the money, but that they can appeal to their county council members as well to be on board with this. Now, at the start of our conversation, Mr. Carter, you mentioned a number of, and I was going to say accidental shootings, and I had to scratch out my notes because you corrected me and you said that these are yes. not accidental shootings um, that have all. happened. No. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that you corrected me on that because that is the word that is used. But as you have, yes, no, yes, it is, yes, it is. And and by using that term, which is not what's going on with this transaction, and when a child's life is taken, uh, it 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 permits other parents to say, oh, well, it's such a bad accident, thinking that it wouldn't happen to them, or it's not something that can be avoided, and it can be avoided. And it's a, it's a delinquent act, it's a, uh, a reckless act for a child to get a hold of a weapon that's in the home. Absolutely. And I thank you for that. You corrected me and I'm going to go home and correct my husband on that as well. Now, Absolutely. Yes. Well, I appreciate that, too. Absolutely. And to your point about that the gun should not be chambered, you know, you don't even think about that as well. And so I am just so glad that in our conversation that you are educating our community because we don't even think about that. Now, Mr. Carter, I do want to ask you regarding the uptick in shootings, especially in the last couple of months involving children. Have you seen an uptick, particularly since the passage of the that permitless carry law back in 2022? And is this, oh, in fact, the genesis for this initiative that you have right now? Absolutely. absolutely. You know, when when the legislature, as well as the governor, signed that bill, 
uh, allowing no gun in Indiana. You don't have to have a permit to carry a weapon. I wrote a letter to the governor. I spoke with the governor, and, and I was adamantly against that for the very reason that I believe there was going to be an uptick in, 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 in illegal use of, of weapons. And, and not only just with children, but I just think with some of the young people that um, that are, are, are possessing these weapons without the maturity. You know, it's, it's said very clearly, and everyone knows from a medical standpoint or a biological standpoint, that the human brain does not even fully develop until about 26, 27 years of age. Right. But they allow an 18-year-old to carry a weapon with undeveloped brain. That's really the truth of it. Nobody want to listen to this and look, look at it that way, but these children don't have the appreciation uh, being 18, 19, 20 years old, the, the, to carry a weapon and use it in a safe manner and understand a safe manner. So um, I'm, I was totally against that, and I have seen an uptick in not only <clears throat> those types of charges, but other uh, charges where reckless uh, acts have been done by individuals who are adults uh, hurting themselves or some of their loved ones. And some of it is intentional. I mean, obviously, if you have a gun, you more have a more propensity to use that gun uh, particularly you 18, 19 years old, and you're carrying a gun every day uh, that you exist. And I ask many of these young people, uh, why do you carry a gun? And they, they, their whole concept is, well, I need it for my protection. And that's a sad uh, sign of society, that a young person, 18 years old, think they have to possess a gun, walk around with a gun for their own personal protection. Um, we have laws, we have morals, we have you know control factors that should take care of that or suffice that. But these kids are put in an environment that they feel that uh, if they don't have a gun to defend themselves, then uh, their, their life may be taken. So therefore, they're going to defend themselves. And then in a situation, uh, they may use that gun in an in in improper way, almost like road rage. You know, we see a lot of road rage mm-hmm. in our county from time to time. And if the individual uh, in some of those shootings did not have a gun in their car, they would have never pulled a gun out on that person who just pulled in front of them by accident and just wasn't thinking or whatever. And the person just it ticks them off, and then they get enraged, end up shooting someone, and they go they go into jail uh, for a substantial period of time just because they shot into a car of, of another uh, driver. So we see that happening, and the more guns out there, the more likely those types of things will come up uh, in day-to-day confrontations. As you just said that, I just had a thought. So since the passage of the permitless carry law, has that had a major impact on the way in which you prosecute crime right here in Lee County? Well, it gives us more volume because there's a direct correlation between uh, more guns out there and more guns being used. So absolutely. And also in terms of this program, we're trying to, to educate people on the proper handling. If the law says that you have a right to carry a gun, a police officer stops you in a car, you have a gun in your possession, there's no crime. And the police are going to do whatever they have to do as far as issue a ticket or whatever they're doing, and they're going to let you go, and you can leave with that gun. In fact, the way the law is written, you can have 10 guns in your car, and it's, and, and it's, and it's legal. So knowing that people wow. have the right, based on our statutes, to carry guns and possess guns, then it's incumbent upon us also, and as a prosecutor, I'm, I'm thinking my office is the best office to try to lead this here, is to say, okay, if you're going to carry a gun, we want you to be safe with that gun. We want you to understand uh, the problems with carrying a gun, and we want to be able to secure that gun in your home where you have loved ones in your home that might get a hold of the gun or may be involved in a gun, you know. So that that's kind of my, my whole thinking is is the safety handling of a gun. Uh, you know, for years, the farmers and rural areas, they've had they, they buy a gun for their kids at 12 years old. That's true. You know, mm-hmm. and shotguns and things of like that nature. And take them out hunting. 
I talked to a lot of my friends and people I know that said that they, they first got a gun when they were 12, you know, as far as a shotgun, not necessarily a handgun. Uh, but they, they understand the proper handling of them. They were taught by their parents and by their caretakers the proper handling of the gun and the proper use of the gun. And you don't see those situations in rural areas. But in urban areas, everybody we talk to, they're not talking about going hunting. They're talking about, I got it on my possession, so I, 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 if I have to kill someone to keep from being killed, I can. and that's what really the reality is, put it in those words. Yeah. I'm, I'm carrying this gun, so if I have to kill someone to keep me from being killed, it's why I have my gun in my possession. It's not because I feel good with the gun. It's not that I'm going to deter other people from robbing me. It's, if somebody tried to kill me, I'm going to kill them first. It's the mentality. And that's a Western mentality almost. Back in 1800s, 1860s, 1870s, 1880s, they were many of the Western towns uh, didn't allow people to carry guns within the city limits. And now, you know, Mm -hmm. we've had a case uh, years ago that the Supreme Court said that the city cannot prohibit uh, someone from carrying a gun when the statute, state statute, allows you to do too. So we know clearly that we can't say in the city of Gary you cannot carry weapons. The law says we can't restrict that. Mr. Carter. Before I let you go, in the time that we have left, I want to ask you about a piece of legislation that is working its way through both chambers at the State House as we speak, and that's House Bill 1235, which passed the House January the 23rd. And I'm interested to get your thoughts on this, particularly because you are the Lake County Prosecutor. And I should note that following the passage of House Bill 1235 at the State House, State Representative Reagan Hatcher immediately released the following statement, quote, by prohibiting cities, counties, and other municipalities from pursuing their own legal action, we set a dangerous legal precedent. House Bill 1235 would require the state to work on behalf of these political subdivisions. It comes at a convenient time, just as Gary has won another legal victory requiring the companies to turn over potentially damaging documents. The legislature weighs in again on pending litigation in favor of the gun manufacturers. The bill puts the state of Indiana in control of suing these bad actors and strips a local government of its freedom to legally protect the well-being of its residents, end quote. The statement goes on to say, The goal of Gary V. Smith & Wesson Corp. 1999 is to hold the gun industry accountable. It's about increasing transparency and promoting safer marketing practices. If signed into law, House Bill 1235 would void the Gary lawsuit. Negligent firearm manufacturers play a significant role in the increase in gun violence we've seen across Indiana. The laws regulating the gun industry haven't been changed since the 1960s. A part of gun violence reduction is promoting reform, accountability, and safe sales. Instead, this legislation prohibits legal justice. Let's act in the best interest of Hoosiers and demand accountability from the leading gun manufacturers, end quote. So again, Mr. Carter, the way I understand this legislation, and it's the sentiments that are echoed in that statement from State Representative Reagan Hatcher, this, should this legislation pass the Senate and go on to Governor Holcomb to be signed into public law, 
it would in fact be a blow to Gary V. Smith & Wesson and furthermore could be seen as a victory of sorts to gun manufacturers. And I say that because I cannot help but notice how many gun manufacturers on social media are rallying behind this piece of legislation and are singing its praises. And not just locally or even statewide, but I have seen so many comments from national advocacy groups about this piece of legislation. Yeah, that's very true. You know, I, I, I follow what the legislators do and what they enact, because that's my law to follow the law. And so uh, many times, even the state prosecutors, we take a position on different bills and things of that nature that we think will help make our community safer. So I'm in favor of anything that will make our community safer as far as any legislation. Uh, and um, we don't necessarily go on front end of those uh, different issues, but I certainly am favorable to any legislation that make uh, our community safer. And if we feel that it will not make our community favor, then certainly we're, we're against that. You know, there's another House mm -hmm. bill, I think Senator Randolph, uh, uh, Senate Bill 26, I believe, or something like that at this point. I don't know where it's at now, but uh, I did communicate with Senator uh, Randolph, and he proposed to change the limit uh, of uh, that you uh, under the age of 21. So you have to be at least 21 or more to carry a gun. So anything under 21, you, you, you would not be able to carry a gun legally in the state of Indiana. And I'm seriously in favor of that. And mainly because of what I said early on about the brain, the human brain, and these young people's uh, brains, they're not fully developed, so they don't have the maturity. You know, I hear it in court all the time. You know, my, my client committed this offense because uh, they, they, they are, they're youth and they just make mistakes and they didn't have the ability to appreciate the seriousness of that offense because of their young age. And that, that that don't fly with us in our office, and we fight against that and we argue against that. But yet at the same time, there's some medical uh, um, findings that, that support that, that concept that uh, uh, young people, when their brains are not fully developed, um, um, maybe do not appreciate the seriousness of certain things. Now, you can say it's common sense that they, uh, um, 18, 20-year-olds should know right from wrong, but it's the ability to, to process um, that information in, in that situation is what's really challenging uh, to us and to, to people who get in trouble. So, you know, just like they're saying about uh, young people smoking marijuana, uh, it definitely affects the brain up until that, that fully developed age range in 25, 26 uh, years of age. So um, a child, 18, 19, 20, and I call them a child, um, they're hampered by the use of marijuana. It really uh, alters uh, their thinking to the extent of, of appreciating what they're doing. And um, the law doesn't say that they're not responsible, but in a reality, we do know that they're reckless in that, that sense. You know, one of the things, like, you ask somebody, would you rather be, if you had to be robbed, would you rather be robbed by a 19-year-old or a 46-year-old? Everybody can tell you a 46-year-old or a 36-year-old because their maturity is a little bit level uh, uh, better, and they may not react uh, spontaneous after they rob you, they may just leave you uh, alone, as opposed to shooting you or killing you. A younger person would have more of a tendency to rob someone and then do harm for them because they think, oh, you're going to tell on me or you're going to identify me, so I'm going to have to kill you. Uh, and that's a true fact. So uh, it, it all has a lot to do with maturity. And if we can change that to 21 years of age, um, it's it, it really where it should be. You think about it, 18-year-old, in many cases, I've seen 18-year-old um, 
juniors in high school. I've seen 18 year old and many of the, of the seniors are 18 years old or, or a little bit older. So <clears throat> you can carry a gun. You we can't carry it into the school, but after you get out of school, you can take that gun and, and walk around with it. Is what the law is saying. And that's just wrong. I thank you, Mr. Carter, for spending time with us today. Oh, absolutely. Particularly because, as I've shared, even though I do tons of research for all of my interviews before I speak with a guest, I have, again, learned so much from you because you're able to share the information in a way that we can all understand. So I am just looking forward to the community rallying behind you for your gun lock safety initiative. I hope that you continue to get more support, and I hope that the community, again, agree and understand that gun safety is the priority for all members of our community. Well, I appreciate that very much. That means a lot to me. And certainly, I'm sincere when I when I talk about we need to get a hold of this situation. And the community is, pick, you know, we got a lot of support because of it, because we know it's wrong. We know that these young people should not be losing their lives because of a, a, a gun being placed in a situation where a child can harm themselves. And um, one of the focuses that we talked earlier about it. It's not an accident. It's an intentional or reckless act, and there's no in-between on that. Um, and, you know, we have to um, kind of understand that and try to rectify this, that whole situation so we don't have another young person's life taken. But I can imagine, uh, being a parent myself, you don't want to lose a loved one. You don't want to lose a child. And it's your at the hands of you that you can't do more greater harm to that parent uh, than that parent's doing to themselves once they see that that child lost their life based on on, on their acts, um, but the law does also have a uh, 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 an answer to give to, as well as a responsible um, action. So you know, there, there's on two levels. It's, it's that law we can't hurt that parent no more, but it's an understanding that the law says that that might be a criminal offense. Bernard Carter is the yes. Lake County Prosecutor. Mr. Carter, again, I thank you so much for spending time with us today on Regionally Speaking. No, I appreciate the opportunity. And coming up after the break, we'll hear from a NIPSCO representative that will share information about energy assistance programs to help utility customers that may be struggling with higher utility bills. You're listening to Regionally Speaking on listener-supported Lakeshore Public Media. NIPSCO is offering to help low-income customers, seniors, military personnel, and veterans struggling to pay higher utility bills to keep their homes warm this winter. The NIPSCO Hardship serve or supply energy resources to veterans and silver or seniors in Indiana low-income and vulnerable energy resource applications are open now through May 31st or until funds run out. So people are encouraged to apply as soon as possible and inform family members who also might qualify. Joining us now is Joshana Nash, Communications Manager for NIPSCO. Joshana, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Thank you for having me. Joshana, so the leaves have fallen and we've already gotten a glimpse of the coming winter. And with that comes an increase in gas usage as well as a fear of rising utility bills. But I understand there are resources available to help a range of NIPSCO customers. And with so many programs, I wanted to speak to you today to have you help our listening audience understand it all, as well as to see if they are eligible to even apply for any of the energy assistance programs. So again, there, there are a lot of programs that are available. So where do we even start? Now, one of the more widely known programs is LIHEAP. So let's start with that. Can you share what is LIHEAP as well as the eligibility requirements for that program? 
Yes. So LIHEAP, or Low Income Home Energy Assistance Program, that is a program that's available to households that are at or below 60% of the state median income. And this program actually opened on October 2nd for online and mail-in applications. So customers that might be eligible or want, if they want to find out if they're eligible, they can always call 211. And by calling that number, the great thing is now when you call, they will help you and walk you through the application process. So if someone feels a little bit overwhelmed with the application, they will actually be able to get assistance when they call 211 with completing the application and understanding the application. But LIHEAP is a great program for customers that fall within that state median income and one that we encourage customers to look into to see if they might be eligible for it. Now, you share that the application process for LIHEAP opened up in October, but I understand that there are a number of other programs in which the application opened up on December 1st. So I want to go through a few of those with you right now. So what is SERVE? Because this is my first time learning of SERVE. Yes. So SERVE is an income eligible assistance program that's available for active military and eligible veteran NIPSCO customers. SERVE actually stands for Supply Energy Resources veterans. So as I stated, that group of customers that may need financial assistance with gas and residential utility charges can determine their eligibility and can receive up to $400 per year if they qualify. So this is a one-time benefit that they can receive if they qualify. So to participate, customers must be an active member of the United States Armed Forces or a former member honorably discharged with an active NIPSCO residential gas utility account that is past due. So yes, we encourage customers to also look into that to see if they are available for serve. Now, Joshana, another energy assistance program that is available for income eligible customers to apply for is SILVER. So what is SILVER and what benefit will it allow for? So SILVER stands for Seniors in Indiana Low Income and Vulnerable Energy Resources. This program, SILVER, is an income-eligible assistance program available for NIPSCO senior citizen customers, rather, that are 60 years of age or older and who need financial assistance with gas residential utility charges. So eligible senior citizens, they must have an active NIPSCO residential gas utility account that is also passed due. Again, with this program, Customers that are eligible or qualified can receive a one-time benefit up to $100 per year if they qualify. Jushana, we have discussed right now a, a number of income-eligible programs, but some may not qualify based on those federal poverty guidelines that you shared with us earlier. And I understand NIPSCO hardship could be an option for customers. So tell us about this program. So the NIPSCO hardship program, that's available for customers that are just outside the federal poverty guidelines for LIHEAP. So this program also offers up to $400 in gas bill assistance to households between 151 and 250% of the federal poverty level. So hardship funds, they are available through any of the same local community action agencies where LIHEAP funds are available and are distributed. This program actually, like you said, is opened on December 1st as well, and customers can actually visit our website to learn more about their eligibility with this program. In addition to income-eligible energy assistance programs that are now available for NIPSCO customers to apply for, are there any energy efficiency tips that you can share? 
Absolutely. So, of course, we're getting into the colder season, as you mentioned earlier. And so there are some things that, you know, we encourage customers to do that can help them save save energy in their home and, and could potentially be a savings in cost as well on their energy bill. One, consider setting the thermostat two to four degrees below what you are used to. It may require, you know, wearing heavier clothing or maybe putting a blanket on, but it's important that's a way to actually save. And then, of course, as you're going into, as we're in the winter time, it's good to have your furnace tuned up by an HVAC contractor. This way you can make sure that your furnace is running properly. Also, change your furnace filters uh, regularly. Dirty filters can block airflow and it forces your furnace to work harder. So this is one thing that we encourage. Also, during the daytime, if it's a sunny day, open your blinds, your curtains, your drapes. Make sure that you're letting the sun in to warm your home. And before the sun goes down, close those blinds and drapes so that you can trap that warmth in as well. A few other things to think about. One thing, sometimes homes can be a bit drafty. So go around your home, check windows and doors, to see if there are places where you're feeling a draft coming in. You can even look for places where there are pipes or vents or electrical conduits and just see if there are some gaps that need to be filled up. And you can do that just with some, you know, caulk, go around and fill those doors up and fill those window cracks up. That way that'll help to alleviate some of that draft and kind of keep that warm air and keep the cold air out and make the house a little warmer. Of course, One of the biggest energy users in your home is a water heater. So it's important if you can take quicker showers. Less shower time is is helpful because you're using less hot water when you do so. So those are definitely some of the things that I would say in terms of energy savings tips in your home to help save on energy and also help with energy costs. Jashana, you have shared a lot of great information with our listening audience today regarding income-eligible energy assistance programs that are available. But again, we may have listeners that don't meet the income guidelines shared today, but may still face difficulty paying their gas bill. Can they still call NIPSCO Customer Care to discuss payment options? Absolutely. We do offer, NIPSCO offers flexible payment plans that are available for customers that need um, additional financial support. We have plans that range from three to six or 12-month options. So yes, we do encourage customers to call us if they have questions. And then one other thing I would mention is our budget plan. The budget plan is actually a free service to all NIPSCO customers to help them manage their monthly energy bills. It spreads gas costs out over an entire year. So it is important if you are seeing some financial difficulties, take advantage of the flexible payment plans and definitely take advantage of the free budget plan as well. Finally, Jashana, how can our listening audience find out more information, including the full list of requirements to apply for any of the energy assistance programs that we discussed today? Yes. For more information on bill assistance, customers can visit nipsco.com forward slash financial support. That's nipsco.com forward slash financial support. Or they can give us a call anytime Monday through Friday between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Central Time at 1-800-4-NIPSCO to determine what help might be available to them. If they're interested in more information about um, how to save energy in their home, we encourage them to visit nipsco.com forward slash energy tips. And then again, if they need information about additional energy assistance, visit nipsco.com forward slash financial support. 
Joshana Nash is a communications manager with NIBSCO. Joshana, I thank you for spending time with us today, sharing information about income-eligible energy assistance programs. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. You're listening to Regionally Speaking on listener-supported Lakeshore Public Media. After you throw the confetti and pop the champagne to ring in the new year, you wake up the next morning and reality sets in. It's 2024 and it's time to set resolutions. While improving health and fitness tops the list, you're not alone if you want to prioritize your financial goals in 2024. When it comes to setting this year's financial resolutions, Northwest Indiana Financial Advisor Greg Hammer, President and CEO of Hammer Financial Group, offers insight on creating your 2024 financial resolutions with a few taking into account our current financial landscape so when 2025 comes knocking, you won't be starting at square one. Greg, as always, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Thanks for having me, Dee. Absolutely. So, Greg, let's start here. Millions of people make financial resolutions, yet few people stick with their resolutions. What can people do to stay motivated? Well, the easiest thing is to take action, right? Begin doing things that are going to keep you motivated. So easy, as you know, to get distracted, careers, you know, the full-time jobs, kids' schedules, you know, things that are constantly coming up, you know, broken water heater, flat tire, cold weather, you know, always pushes these financial decisions and and, uh, actionable steps to the back burner because it just doesn't feel like you have the time to take care of it immediately. But the reality is you can't make up for lost time or missed opportunities. So just depending on where you're at in your financial journey, you know, setting a time uh, or setting aside time maybe once a week, once a month, once a quarter, you know, and even if it's simply just looking at your portfolio, maybe looking at doing some rebalances, checking to see if you're on track, just keeping a, a consistent accountability program will keep it to front of mind rather than out of sight and out of mind. You know what? That actually makes sense. So now that we know that taking action will help motivate us to take our financial resolutions, where should we start? Well, first, look at your your goals. You know, what are your financial goals? The beginning of the year really gives us a you know clean slate uh, to look at our whole financial picture and make sure you know we're on track to reach our goals. And the questions are, you know, are you putting enough money away for retirement? Do you have a child that you're concerned about saving for college? You know, do you need to look at how your investments are balanced? based on your risk tolerance. So, you know, beginning to do those things will actually create actionable items for you to 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 improve your outcome. But if you already have one, you know, it's smart to review it, you know, update it, you know, make sure you're going to reach your goals based on the, the current plan, you know, between interest rates, bonds, stock market, the election, you want to take this time to really look at your overall financial house and decide, you know, what money moves are appropriate for you this year. And if you don't have a financial plan, it's a perfect time to to begin to develop one. Okay, Greg, a popular New Year's resolution for millions of people is to get organized. Everybody always says, let me get organized for the new year. But how can we do this with our finances? Well, you can start with just a checklist, you know, start creating and updating documents like your financial plan. Obviously, if you don't have one, you know, what should it look like? And let's begin writing one. We just discussed, you know, kind of how to tie your financial plan back to your goals. Tax documents, it's a great time to to review those documents. Tax season basically is here, but it allows you to look and see how much did I contribute to 
my 401k is an example. And then, you know, are there things within a state plan that I need to be concerned with? Do I need to update a will? Do I need to update a trust or do I even need to have a trust? And then, of course, uh, portfolio. You know, what is it that I'm investing in? Um, how am I investing? Is it the same place I want to be? Now, you don't have to work on everything at one time. But the beginning of the year should give you an opportunity to update, you know, some of these things sooner rather than later and create some actionable steps for you for throughout the year. Greg, budgeting is often the first. How do we update our budget for 2024? Well, I think the the most important thing um, is there's always reports that individuals haven't saved enough. And ultimately, the goal is to retire. So when you create your budget, you know, you want to create it around your retirement plan, not the other way around. Meaning, you know, we don't want to start saving with what's left. You know, we need to make uh, sure that we're, you know, what we're spending and putting away what's left over in your retirement isn't going to get us to where we need to be. We need to decide how much we need to save for retirement and begin to build a budget around that and work at it in increments. I remember, D, I started off very, very young, and it was a small amount, 100 bucks a month. And over the last 30 years, that has evolved to a much larger number. But it was always about increasing the budget for savings, increasing the budget for the things to put away for the future. And if you keep building on it, it becomes a lot easier. You know, Greg, that's a great way to create a budget because it's a it's building a budget from the view of security rather than scarcity. Now, you also state that many people will set resolutions like paying off their mortgage or saving for their kids college education, but neglect retirement saving. Why is this such a huge mistake? Well, I I might have mentioned earlier, you know, time flies by, and that's why it's critical to start saving now because it's hard to make up for that lost time. You know, the money, that first $100 I saved has made more money for me than the last $100 I saved. So think about it this way. When, you know, when you're purchasing your first car or house five, 10, 20 years ago, whatever it might have been, you might have wished that, wow, I wish I had more money saved for a deposit on those things. That's how people often feel when they get close to retirement. So if you don't start saving sooner, it becomes a you know a very high mountain to climb. It's almost intimidating to a degree because you don't have anything saved yet or you're not close to where your goals need to be. So start saving early and then continue to increase it. And then all of a sudden you'll get close to retirement and you'll have substantial assets there uh, more so than if you try to play catch up. Now that you've convinced us to save for retirement, there are new laws that went into effect on January the 1st that allow us to save more. And we've had these conversations before. But what are 2024's contribution limits? Yep. So currently now 401k owners can contribute up to 23000 And if you are age 50 or older, you can contribute an extra 7500 and what the, the government is calling a catch-up contribution. So the total is uh, 30500 if you're over age 50. And for those that don't have a 401k, um, their traditional IRA, Roth IRAs, um, are up to 7000 And if you're over 50, an additional 1000 for catch-up provisions, so a total of 8000 Greg, you know, 2024 is a presidential year. It's a big year for all Americans. And you state that when making financial resolutions this year specifically, you should take that into consideration. Why do you say that? Well, for one thing, I think we've mentioned this in the past, the current tax code, you know, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act is set to expire in in the year 2025, meaning um, we'll go back to the old code without an act of Congress. And right now, you know, Congress is split on this issue. So if they aren't able to come together on tax reform, 
there's a very good chance that we will revert back to that old code, which would translate into higher tax rates in the future. So while America's tax rate uh, rates are historically low, this might be one of the last opportunities for a while for retirement savers to lock in current low tax rates by doing things like Roth conversions or contributing to the Roth at the 401k level, level instead of pre-tax contributions. So since IRA and pre-tax 401k owners pay taxes based on the year that the funds are withdrawn, that's in essence what you're doing with the conversion. So if you expect to pay higher taxes in the future, converting those accounts to a Roth will allow you to pay taxes based on uh, what I believe are currently some of the lowest rates we'll see. And then once that conversion is complete, now your future savings will grow tax-free. Now, Greg, correct me if I'm wrong, but from the sounds of it, completing a Roth conversion could really improve someone's financial future, right? Uh, absolutely. Obviously, you know, there needs to be an analysis of it, but that's why Roth conversions to me are super attractive um, because the income levels are considerably higher than what I expect them to be in 2026 for those lower tax implications. So for the people who can do a conversion, it could really help extend, you know, the retirement savings because you're able to keep more of it. And it's not always about how much you earn, as you know, Dee, it's about how much you get to keep, right? And so mm -hmm. some people have wanted to do a conversion but haven't pulled the trigger because in the conversion, you have to pay the taxes up front. So that's a you know a big mental hurdle for a lot of folks, but understand that those taxes are going to be paid and you just need to understand that it's likely you can pay less now. So those who um, have a fear of missing out, you know, can do a phase conversion. You know, you still have two years. So that's where you can do part of it this year and potentially part of it next year before the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act actually sunsets. But of course, like I mentioned, you need to discuss these strategies with somebody that can explain them to you and evaluate whether or not they make sense for you. What about cash someone may have received from an end-of-the-year bonus, commissions, or just extra money a listener may have had socked away for emergencies that they did not use? So, I mean, today, I, I tell you, CD, money market interest rate, um, they're not as high as they were a few months ago, but these are still a good opportunity for those emergency reserves. Um, you can lock in short-term CDs, ladder them in, three-month, six-month, nine-month, 13-month, and they're all pretty good interest rates right now. So for those cash reserves where just a few short months ago, a year ago, you were not able to capitalize on any type of interest there is an opportunity there to utilize those vehicles for that short-term need. Okay, Greg, before I let you go, I just have to ask you, because you've shared a lot about financial resolutions for 2024, but do you have any final words? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of moving parts. Uh, you know, As we know, the, the Fed is uh, talking about different moves, especially when it comes to the interest rate and, you know, making sure they're addressing inflation while potentially bringing, you know, the interest rates down a bit and how that will impact the stock market and the bond market, especially with a presidential election. And, you know, those opportunities that arise in 2024, you know, could be one of the things that are key to making most of your financial resolutions this year. So, you know, just pay attention to it. Look at different opportunities within the current economic conditions and try to capitalize on those opportunities. Greg Hammer is the president and CEO of Hammer Financial Group. Greg, as always, thank you so much for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Thanks for having me, Andy. And that's it for Regionally Speaking for this week. Thanks to our guests, Lake County Prosecutor Bernard A. Carter, 
From Hammer Financial Group in Tierraville, President and CEO Greg Hammer, and Communications Manager from NIPSCO, Jashana Nash. And we'll be back with you next week with an all-new show.